This is the Road Trekking Podcast with your host, Jimmy James. It's a show about my trip from Ontario to British Columbia in a vintage 92 camper van. And I invite you to come along for the ride. Welcome to episode two, Stuck for a Day in Thunder Bay. Um, <laughs> oh man, what a day this has been. Uh, we'll start with the trip log. I uh, haven't gone very far today. Um, approximately 180 kilometers, putting my total uh, kilometers to 1,628. Current location is a lookout uh, near Ignis, Ontario. I'm sorry for those of you that are from uh, this community if I pronounce it wrong, but I can't seem to get the proper pronunciation for it. Uh, GPS coordinates. I don't know. Um, yeah, currently just uh, sitting in a little lookout, uh, all alone, nobody around, and uh, able to kind of go over my thoughts and, and what's happened for the day. So the day started off good. Um, I was excited to take the van to the mechanic and get that fuel pump changed. And uh, I woke up early. Uh, I was able to make some coffee. Now, this is something that I've done to the van that, uh, I don't know, I would recommend it. I've put in a large inverter. It's, it's supposed to be a 2000 watt inverter. Um, I did test it in my garage prior to heading out and it could run a 1500 watt heater. So I'm happy with that. I use it mostly for uh, operating my Keurig coffee machine, which has been a godsend for years and years. I mean, I'm, I've always been sort of a backcountry camper, uh, trailer camper person that uh, just, you know, spends lots of time in the outdoors. And I've had numerous different coffee creating devices over the years. Um, my, uh, my friend Will and I, we had a machine that we had purchased that was supposed to be an espresso uh, maker, which basically looked like a small pot, which you would put uh, on a heat source. And then it had sort of like a, a tube that was shaped like a U or uh, an upside down J that came out the top. We called it coffee explosion because once it started boiling the water, the coffee would literally just shoot out all over the place and uh, just make a huge mess. Um, I eventually graduated to, I think what they, it is still an espresso maker, but, um, it has a bottom compartment and a top compartment in the middle. There's something that looks like a funnel. You put coffee grounds in it, heat it on the stove and makes really, really excellent coffee. But uh, it takes a while and there's definitely some cleanup involved. And if you leave it with the coffee grounds in it and forget at the end of your trip, um, like me, you're going to end up throwing it out or trying to scrub it down because you'll have you know, six month old moldy coffee in there. Anyway, um, for this van, when I was working on it, I decided to put in an inverter and that allows me to run appliances like a Keurig coffee machine or an espresso, whatever you want to use or a hairdryer and something of that sort. So that's worked out really well. I woke up this morning, uh, me and my fishing partner had a couple cups of coffee, made it over to the mechanic shop, uh, where I dropped off the van. Now, this was interesting because uh, the gentleman behind the counter told me that the, you know, quote unquote, apprentice would be working on it, which immediately is a red flag. It's like, why would you get the apprentice to work on something that's so old? He's obviously never seen something like this, but he assured me that doing a fuel pump is a very easy job. No problem. A uh, couple hours and uh, we should be out of the shop. So yeah, that's great. My fishing partner and I, we headed over to the Tim Hortons and grabbed a coffee 
Now, um, coffee shops are an interesting thing because they attract people of all walks of life, which is great. And, you know, you really get to see a slice of society. You might see a businessman sitting there reading the paper. Um, you might see school age kids grabbing, you know, a donut or something before they go to school. Although I don't think that's particularly healthy. Um, or you might see uh, some homeless people who are there, you know, trying to have something to eat or get something hot to drink. This particular coffee shop was uh, dominated by the latter. Um, I did not see any businessmen uh, reading papers. I didn't really see any school-aged children. I saw a coffee shop that was essentially full of uh, people that were less fortunate. And that's okay. I don't mind. I'm salt of the earth kind of person. So I grabbed a cup of coffee and my fishing partner and I sat down and, um, you know, we, we sat there and started to talk. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But, uh, you know, I had to use the washroom. And uh, <laughs> so for whatever reason, in this particular coffee shop, the men's washroom was like a single use stall kind of setup with a locking door handle and the ladies washroom had like just a push pad so obviously could accept more than one person so i went up to the uh, men's washroom pu pushed on the handle opened it and i found a um a man using the washroom doing a number two who hadn't bothered to lock the door and looked like he probably hadn't had a shower in about a month. So I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So I just sort of backed out, sorry, sir, you know, backed out, um, went back and I, I figured I could wait to, to use that. That was surprising. That's, um, I've never encountered that before. And because this washroom was so small, when I opened the door, I was like almost standing between this guy's legs. It was, it was really awkward. Um, Anyway, so uh, I felt bad about that. But at the same time, you know, people lock the door when you go in a washroom. I mean, how do you not lock the door? Anyway, so uh, I sat down with my fishing partner and I started to look at some maps. And at this point, he informed me that he wanted to go home. Um, I don't really understand this. It's like, so there was something interesting. And when we left... Uh, we took two different routes. He felt that taking the northern route, which is Highway 11, and it basically when you hit Sudbury, you continue on north and you'll basically go all the way up to Cochrane, Ontario, which is quite far north. And then uh, you begin heading west through Capus Casing, Hearst, etc. And he felt that that was a better route. He wanted to take that. Um, he had left a day before me with the intention of, well, I mean, really for two reasons. One, I wasn't quite ready to go yet. I didn't feel confident in all that I had packed, which has turned out it's good that I took the extra time to, to pack everything that I thought that I would need. Um, but two, he wanted to get out there and kind of scout out the lake. So that's fine. Um, last night when he came down, he had told me that he was just trying to get away from the bugs and stuff. But I think it's becoming clear that he, I don't, I'm not sure if he was homesick or um, just didn't want to be here. I don't, I don't know what happened there, but he told me, nope, I, I, I'm going to go home. And I said, well, hold on here. You know, we've made this drive. It's, it's been, uh, you know, 1500 something kilometers to get up into this area that's supposed to be legendary for fishing. And you just want to go home. Like we have the van. We don't have to worry about the bugs. We've got a warm place to sleep, you know, plenty to eat. Let's spend a few days. Nope, nope, nope. 
I want to go home. I've had it. There's too many bugs. Uh, I don't, I don't like it. I went out on the lake. He said, uh, he fished for about half a day, only caught one or two fish. And now he wants to go home. So he's, uh, he's going to go home and he, there's nothing that I could say or do to sway him. And that's fine. I'm, I'm grateful that I made sure I took the extra time to make sure that I packed everything that I thought that I was going to need. The crummy part about it is that he left me with my car literally at the mechanic shop. So who knows what's going to happen? I mean, I know I'm going to tell you in a moment, but who knows what would happen at the mechanic shop if there would be complications, if I'd be stranded. But that doesn't really matter because you know what? I'm road trekking. So I uh, spent some time at the coffee shop, went back to the mechanics, and I saw that they had indeed got the van in and were beginning to work on it. The young lad had begun to take the gas tank out of the van. Here's the thing. When you do a fuel pump on a vehicle, um, I think a lot of vehicles, the fuel pump is actually located in the top of the gas tank. So that I knew that, and that meant uh, two things. One, when I came into town, I tried to make sure that I had as little fuel in the gas tank as possible so that they didn't have to drain it and I made the job easy for them. And also, number two, it means that I knew that they would have to put the van on a hoist. However, it turns out that the hoist that this particular shop had would not accommodate my van. I've heard people say that a, a hoist, you know, it will not accommodate a larger vehicle like my van, which I understand if you have low ceilings. In this case, it was because the van has factory running boards and the hoist is not able to get underneath and grab the frame without uh, hurting or interfering with the running boards. So they decided that they were basically going to do this job off jack stands on the floor. So I came and saw the young lad under the van uh, attempting to unscrew uh, the bolts that are holding the gas tank up. And I was happy. I was like, at least, you know, I'm making some progress. I've got the correct fuel pump, I hope, and everything is going according to plan. I took this as an opportunity to take a walk up and down the street, and I spent a few hours just sort of exploring um, the area, which, by the way, was mostly industrial, so there wasn't too much to see. But uh, Thunder Bay is a really interesting town in that the demographics between the different people seem to be sharply separated, in that there are college or university kids, there are hardworking, blue-collar people, and then there are the less fortunate. And it almost seems just visually that that is about one third each. Now, I took some time hanging around, uh, playing on my phone, and I eventually revisited the mechanic shop where I took a look at the old pump. There didn't seem to be anything particularly wrong with it other than the fact that it was making a lot of noise. But nonetheless, they changed the pump, put the fuel tank back up, and by about two or three o'clock in the afternoon, I was ready to hit the road. Now, I have to go get more gas because I had run the tank so low. So I headed to the other side of Thunder Bay, which is called Fort William. And over there, they have a native reserve where you can get some uh, fuel, which is less expensive than what it is at the other gas stations. So I headed across and to get over you take this really rickety little bridge. It's basically a train trestle running down the middle of the road. And then on either side, you have the directional uh, lanes for traffic, but you have to do like, the limit says 20 kilometers an hour, but you'd be hard pressed to do five. It's so rough. So I get across the bridge and I 
you know, go down the street and I pull into this gas station and I proceed to fill the tank up, you know, ding, 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 that the tank is filling as it gets to the top, sploosh out from under the van, gas all over the place, probably a few liters. And I think, oh my gosh, right? So I pay, I sort of go park in the parking lot and I give the mechanic shop a call. You know, there's fuel leaking from my tank. What, you know, I got to bring this back. Okay, no problem, they said. So they br I, I proceed to bring it back. When I get back, the uh, manager of the shop is upset. At first, it seemed like he was upset with me. And it's like, I never really understood that about people. Like when they do work for you and their work is of a poor quality and you come and you say, hey, listen, this isn't, you know, this isn't a good quality job or there's something wrong with it. They almost have the instinct to get mad at you. And it's like, well, hold on. I'm supposed to be the person who's mad at you. Maybe it's like a thing where they're just assuming you're going to be mad. So they're getting mad preemptively. Nonetheless, I'm not upset. It's just, you know, let's make it right. I, I no longer have to wait on, uh, or have my fishing partner waiting on me because he is now long gone. Let's just fix this and make it right. So, um, this is where <laughs> the really interesting part start starts. I have a full tank of fuel. So I tell them, listen, I've got a full tank of fuel. Be mindful of that. So the young lad, and this is the other thing. If a person can't do the job right the first time, why would you have the same person attempt to correct their mistake? This I also don't understand because I don't believe people are capable of improving the quality of their work. Like if your work is done at some level of quality and that level of quality is not acceptable on this particular job, why would we think that this person can somehow make it better? Shouldn't we have like the master mechanic or whatever working on this? Nonetheless, this quote unquote apprentice proceeds to get under the van, jack it up, and starts to take the fuel tank down. And I'm thinking, I knew this in my mind. I'm thinking, he's going to do something and this gas is just going to come pouring out of the tank. I thought maybe like there was this glimmer in my mind that maybe he could just let the tank down enough so that he could look on top, see what was leaking, sort of do that. Well, that's not what happened. He disconnected the clamp from the fuel filler neck, which by the way, goes basically into the bottom of the tank. And boosh, fuel, 80 liters to be exact, flood the bottom of this shop. The whole place absolutely reeks of gasoline. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a bomb waiting to go off. This guy jumps out from under the van, like almost as if he had no idea that this was going to happen. Despite the fact I told him that tank is full of fuel, you know, he, he, he jumped out. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. He's running around and I'm just standing back because there's lots of stuff inside a shop that could make a spark. There's other guys working on other cars. I back out. Uh, and just be like, okay, I got to just take a minute for myself here to, to try to evaluate what exactly is going on here. So I step out of the shop, the young lad, you know, he tries to get some things to, to collect the fuel, uh, prevent it from going onto the floor. But at this point, the bulk of the fuel has drained from the tank and it's literally running down the drain, which I'm also wondering, like, where exactly does this drain go? 
I don't see any like tank or anything outside. So th there's literally going to be, a, a, I mean, perhaps it doesn't go into the storm sewer, but there's literally going to be a pit in this garage full of 80 liters of gasoline. So I packed out of the shop, the uh, gentleman that ran it, you know, sort of came out and was even more angry. And at this point, it was quite clear that he was angry at the young lad uh, more than he was angry at me for coming back. And uh, the young lad assured me, he said, no, no, I'm going to get this fixed and then I'll take you to the gas station and fill it up. So this was an opportunity for them to make something right. And I'm glad that they did do that, or at least the young lad offered to do that, which I was very grateful for, especially considering the price of fuel these days. Once he got the fuel tank down, he informed me that the EVAP hose, which is like a large hose that helps vent the fumes of the gasoline uh, into like a charcoal canister uh, for environmental reasons, had popped off, quote unquote, popped off. What was interesting is that when he was doing the job originally, I found a hose clamp on the ground under my van and I said, hey, did you put, is this hose clamp off my van? Like, what was this for? And he said, uh, no, 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 uh, that, that was a hose clamp. I changed the hose clamp. Uh, you know, it was a bit rusty, so I did something else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This time he tells me, well, you see, that hose never had a hose clamp on it. I'm looking at the size of the hose clamp thinking there's no other pipe or line going on the gas tank that would take this size of hose clamp. So how can it be? He's telling me that he's replaced something with a hose clamp. And now he's telling me that something didn't have a hose clamp whatever. I tell him, listen, make sure it's on, pushed fully on with the hose clamp tight, etc., etc., which he does, gets the gas tank back up. Time now is running close to 6 p.m. He takes me to the gas station and he proceeds to fill my tank up with fuel, which is good. I don't see any leaks, so whew, okay. All right, so now I'm in good shape. So I begin heading out of town, but of course it's getting late. I decide that I'm uh, going to stop in the small town of Ignace and check that out, find a spot for the night. I'm not going to try to press any further or explore any lakes because I just simply won't have enough time. And I want to make sure I'm able to find a place and get set up for the night. So I pull onto the highway leading out of Thunder Bay. About two minutes down the road, there's a bit of a hill and people are driving fast on this road. I mean, way faster than the recommended speed limit. I put my foot into the van and then no, everything just dies. Uh, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is going on now? So I kind of nurse it over to the side of the road. The engine is not running. So I have no power steering, no power brakes. People are literally doing, you know, 30, 40 kilometers over the speed limit. I have no choice. I just kind of have to manhandle it over to the side of the road, get out, look under the hood. Uh, okay. What's going on here? I do know that um, from previous work that I had done or had done and then had to correct, if you listen to episode zero, uh, I had put some fuses in, in place of the fusible links. I thought that would be a good place to start. And sure enough, I opened one of them up and a 15 amp fuse had blown. I did not know what this fuse was for, or rather the fusible link, which I replaced with a fuse. And I did not know the ampacity of it. 
So I had put a 15 amp fuse thinking, you know, the wire seemed relatively small, can't take more than 15 amps. Yeah, what I've decided to do is put a 20 amp fuse, hoping that it doesn't melt the wiring. Perhaps the new fuel pump draws more power than the old fuel pump. And like I said, I really don't know what the original um, fusible link was rated for, and I can't find it in my Haynes manual or any information online, especially considering I don't know what the wire was for. So I put a 20 amp fuse, set out again on the highway, feeling extremely nervous. Um, but thankfully to this point, nothing uh, has blown. The van has not shut off again. I did take a look under the hood. I don't see any melted wires or smell any burning smells. So it is possible that it just was originally supposed to take a larger fuse. And for some reason, the new fuel pump just drew that little bit more current and, uh, cause that fuse to blow. So fingers crossed, I don't have any problems with this going down the road. Okay, so now I head down to the highway, I may, I'm down the, the road, I make a turn onto the Trans Canada, and I am heading to Ignace. Something that struck me now is as I'm heading away from Lake Superior, the trees start to change. And you go from a mostly deciduous uh, style trees to more and more pine trees. And the landscape starts to get dotted with lakes and rivers on your left and your right. There's little lakes, little rivers crossing everywhere. Really beautiful, beautiful landscape. I find a small lookout uh, just on the east side of town, and I decide I'm going to go up there. It says, you know, this is a, a viewing opportunity, you know, with a, it's a little guy with binoculars or something on the sign. And uh, I go up there and I pull in for the evening. This, I'm not quite sure what the purpose of this lookout is. Yes, you can see the town from the lookout. The town is extremely small. It consists of probably a half dozen buildings and some houses. And you're basically just looking down a big mudslide. I don't know, like, why would the Ontario government make a sign up telling you to go and look at this? It's like, do you want to see a big mudslide down a hill? That's basically what I was looking at. But it was nice because uh, nobody else was there. So I was able to park the van. It didn't say no overnight parking. So I found a little spot and kind of tucked myself away and uh, decided I was just going to try to relax and, and get over everything that had happened to me in the day. I do have some interesting observations from the day that I'd like to speak to. Firstly, if you're traveling with somebody, you cannot rely on them. That's the bottom line. I mean, if they're in the vehicle with you, of course, yes, you can rely on them. But if they're taking their own car, they're going their own way, and you're supposed to meet them somewhere, do not rely on what it is that, the, that they're saying or what the plan is to do. Luckily, I packed like I was going to be alone for this entire trip. Um, I knew that for the bulk of it, I would be alone, but for the first leg, I would have my fishing partner who basically decided to leave me <laughs> at the mechanic. Um, thankfully, I had planned the trip to be mostly alone. I'm glad that that happened. Otherwise, this would have been spoiled. Number two, I passed... Uh, a sign on my way from Thunder Bay to Ignis that said, you know, the, in, I don't know, it didn't say international time zone sign. It just said, you know, the time zone change point, And there was a small plaque and I had been noticing something as I was driving further North and West. And that's that 
the length of the day was getting increasingly longer. I have experienced this before when I went way north on a fly-in fishing trip. Just looking up at the sky, 11, 12 o'clock at night, you can still see the glow of the sun on the horizon, and, and twilight seems to last so much longer. But even though it's completely obvious, I had never really experienced it traveling by car east to west. I know that as you travel, you know, east or west, that the time zones change, but I didn't really consider that the day length, the perceived length of the day will actually change. So as I was heading west, and Thunder Bay is pretty close to the westernmost edge of the, I believe, eastern standard time zone, the days seemed really long. It seemed like by 10.30 at night, it was still sort of dusk. Once I changed time zones and my phone and everything reset, then it seemed more appropriate. But I had never really thought about that. So as you cross the time zone, it's going to kind of correct for that extra long day. And now it's back where, you know, at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, it's getting dark instead of like 10.30, uh, 11 o'clock, it, it's dark. So that was a really interesting thing. Another thing is that on this Trans-Canada Highway, the speed limit is 90 kilometers per hour. Now, I'm like most people, I don't just do the limit. I try to go about 10 kilometers an hour faster than it. There are really only two speeds on the Trans-Canada Highway. 85 kilometers an hour or 130, 140 kilometers an hour. Now, my van can definitely do 85 kilometers an hour, and that's fine. I can stick behind somebody, but I don't really feel comfortable in doing that because you constantly have people trying to pass you. But the other thing is that you get these people, and not just regular cars, I'm talking transport trucks, that will literally blow past you. In fact, I was in a situation where there were two or three transport trucks and they were all literally just pulling out and passing each other and trying to jockey for position, uh, going down a road where they're all doing 10, 20, 30 kilometers an hour, well over the legal limit. I thought that transport trucks were like speed governed or they weren't supposed to go very fast. They were supposed to stick to the limit. Definitely not the case here. These trucks go flying and it doesn't matter whether they're fully loaded or not. Something else, which is really interesting. As I'm heading further west, I see more and more RVs, camper trailers, uh, Class B motorhomes like I have, Class A's, and everybody seems to just park at the snowplow turnarounds. Now, just for those of you who don't know, as you drive down the highway, you will get to places where probably every, I don't know, five, 10 kilometers, there's like a, a kind of a pull off on the side of the road. And it says, this is a snowplow turnaround. Sometimes they do have like a little outhouse or a garbage can. And they all say pretty much for the most part, no camping, no overnight parking, et cetera, et cetera. As it starts to get into the evening hours, every single one of these is filled with people in RVs. And I'm wondering, is nobody enforcing these rules? Which is good. It's good for me traveling across the country to know that, hey, I could probably pull into any of these things and spend the night. No big deal. Nobody's going to bother me. 
I personally, first of all, I don't want to sleep right beside a highway where people are doing a buck 20, buck 30 all night. But I personally always try to find a little place that's sort of off the beaten path, off to the side, somewhere out of view, somewhere away from the highway noise. Um, even if I'm staying in a parking lot of a, of a Walmart, as I did the night before, I'm trying to look for a quiet one, you know, one where people aren't around. And yet these little turnoffs just seem to be absolutely flooded with people in camper trailers. I see people walking around. It's almost like they set up like a mini little RV park with like three or four RVs. And I, I think in a way that's really great. Uh, I've done some traveling down through the States and they have what they call like rest stops, but they're very much different from what they consider rest stops here in Canada. In Canada, a rest stop is normally, it has a gas station, a coffee shop, it might have a burger joint, a convenience store, stuff like that. Down in the States, there are rest stops off the side of the highway where it's essentially like this. It is just a turnoff on the highway. They may have a small structure with some washrooms, and sometimes they have like vending machines and stuff like that. And those particular places are meant for you to stop and take a nap if you need to. And I think that's actually a safety concern on these Canadian roads because you can travel for hours and hours without finding a particular place where you could legitimately, you know, quote unquote, stop for the night or find a camping spot. But in America, they've solved that problem by creating these little rest stops. And I remember I was down on my, I was on my way to Florida or something like that. And I stopped into one of these little rest stops just to use the washroom. And I was driving through the night and I went inside and there was a, a couple of washrooms. There was actually a couple of showers. The building didn't look like it was really staffed in any regard, but there was a man there. And this is the middle of the night. There was a man there and he was like mopping the floors and cleaning it. There were some vending machines that had chips and pop and things you might need. And I said to the guy, like, this is really neat, you know, that you guys have these things. He's like, oh yeah, these are all down the highway, you know whatever. So I think that that's a really uh, critical difference between traveling in Northern Ontario, at least from my experience so far, and traveling down through the States is that there are official facilities in the States for people to pull over where up here, it just seems like people are just taking advantage of places. And I think you have to, to some extent, I mean, where are you going to stop? Um, People are just taking advantage of these and uh, nobody's enforcing the rules. So it kind of begs the question, like, why is there a rule that you can't stop at uh, or you're not supposed to stay overnight or camp at these little turnarounds? I don't particularly see a safety issue with it. And like I said, most of them have a garbage can and a washroom. So I think that there needs to be a change in culture there where we start to accept that, you know, people do need to stop, especially on these long stretches of highway. Way. All right, that's all I have for today. I'm nicely snuggled in the van. If you enjoy listening to my podcast and following along with me on my journey, I'd ask that you like, subscribe, and hit the notification icon on your podcast app of preference. And also, you can find me on my Instagram at roadtrekking underscore podcast, where you can see some of the pictures and videos that I've taken along my way. And of course, Please be kind to one another and keep on road trekking. Bye.